This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Let the train! You are listening to One Truck it, it's time for your Nooner with Dooner on this Friday right here. It is noon, isn't it? You guys must be hungry. It's lunchtime for uh, for many of you. Maybe you're fixing out to go down the street, get a burger. Maybe expense it, but you're worried. Those cats in corporate are not going to accept it. Well, company over in Toronto, they got your back. Take a look at this menu right here. This is a company called Good Fortune Burger in Toronto. And uh, they've taken the measure... And the convenience for you of naming all of their menu items after things that a remote worker or an office worker may expense. Their, uh, their basic burger is called a basic steel stapler. They have a chicken burger that's called a mini dry erase board. They've got a veggie burger, wired elephants with mic, USB wired mouses, some palm fries. Pretty good. The prices look reasonable. My question is, though, isn't corporate going to wonder why you're tipping like 20% over at uh, this place? Or if you got a favorite on that menu, they may be concerned why you keep ordering mini dry erase boards. But I sent this out to the logistics community. Here's what you all had to say. Hayden Alred said, 10 out of 10, I need a new silicone keyboard cover. Current solution isn't quite getting it done. Nicholas Armstrong, I've needed, I've been needing a new mini dry erase board for a while right now. Anna Stone says, it's genius. Matthew Maselli says, this is definitely a way to think outside the box. Radu Balamori says, boom, next level. Erica Reese, she wants to know, what does the world come to that we're resorting to this? And Oliver Carr says, I guess they na- renamed tipping into shipping. Makes a lot of sense, and I, I hope they do. Although, I'm not saying, don't, don't commit lunchtime fraud, people. Just saying, that restaurant is out there. And at the very least, it's really good marketing, because this one got shared around. Anyways... On the show today, I'm talking to James E. Lewis. He's, uh, we're going to be talking about the anatomy of a truck accident. How do you protect yourself? How do you protect your drivers? What happens when you're in an accident? What is the aftermath? Safety, all those type of concerns. We got T-Force Worldwide's Tom Griffin. He's going to share the importance of running a flexible supply chain. Trucker Pat's Chris Oliver comes in. He's going to tell us about the best truck stops in America. Donovan's Milzy Wilson. She wants you to stress test your supply chain. She's here to tell us how. Plus, ArcBest. Are they for sale? Speculation is brewing. Uh, Uber Freight, they might spin off for an IPO. Fatty, the toll road running elephant. And how walking trailers work and a bunch more. So let's tip the bands and we'll get you into some headlines. Supply chain challenges are not always easy, but the commitment from the team at Dunavant Logistics to take on that responsibility is unwavering. Dunavant, logistically speaking, they're at the center of it all. Visit them at Dunavant.com. All right, let's get to a headline here. Let's get to some headlines here. Yeah, there we go. All right, on Wednesday, Molo CEO, take a look at this. Wednesday, Molo CEO, 
Got a picture here. Wednesday, Molo CEO Andrew Silver took to LinkedIn to announce his and founder Matt Vogrich's unexpected and untimely departure from the country. ArcVest acquired Molo for an upfront $235 million cash payment just a few years ago. There's also an earnout figure on there that could push that total to $450 million. Why the breakup? Insiders claim that a culture clash between Silver and Vogrich and the ArcVest leadership team may be the culprit. Here's, uh, here's what may lend some credence to that. 22-year ArcBest loyalist Steve Leonard has been appointed to oversee that truckload business. And now there's speculation. ArcBest or ABF may be for sale and TFI may be interested. They did recently pick up a 4% stake in ArcBest. Uh, what do you all think? You think they're going to make a move here? You think, you think ArcBest might be up for grabs or ABF or any part of this? I don't know. Is there smoke? Is there fire? I'm not sure, but I love the conversation surrounding it. Got one more little news story to get you here before we get to our next guest. Uh, by the way, guys in the back, is our, is our next guest uh, coming in? If not, can you go check on that, please? Freight Waves' John Kingston reports Uber, Uber is studying whether to spin off Uber Freight as a sale or as a standalone publicly traded company. A Bloomberg report said Uber is discussing its options with potential advisors, citing people familiar with the matter. A spokesperson for Uber Freight, they declined to comment. One of the anonymous sources quoted by Bloomberg, they said a decision on how to proceed isn't eminent. Instead, they're just trying to figure out how to go about this. Um, they also said an IPO would be more likely outcome if there was a spinoff of the business. Maybe they don't want to go SPAC. We saw what happened to Fredos, right? Fredos spacked uh, a month or two ago, and that's down 86%, well, 85.7% trending towards 86%. It's been a, it's been a uh, steep drop-off. Uh, John goes on to say, if the IPO were to occur, it would mark the first time a digital brokerage company were exposed to the public scrutiny of equity markets. The other major digital brokerages, companies like Convoy, all privately owned. Curious stuff to end the week here. ArcBest. Uber Freight. What do you think? Did you get some of that Uber Freight stock if it IBOs? Not sure. Anyways, our next guest is here. It is our first guest, I should say. It's Tom Griffin. He's the president over at T-Force Worldwide. Tom, good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you uh, too, Dooner. Thanks for uh, having me on today. Well, part of the... Uh, uh, special Friday and happy uh, early St. Pat's to everybody uh, here in Chicago. That'll be uh, going to a couple parades, I think. Oh, beautiful. Aaron Gobra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there, there we go. Die in the, uh, you know, river uh, green tomorrow. And uh, I always uh, attend the uh, Southside Irish Parade on Sundays. Well, it gets really busy so. when you when you go out to one of these parades and you got to be flexible when you're making plans yeah. because of all the congestion. It's not that different than the supply chain, right? Supply chain, anything can throw you for a loop. And today we're going to talk about how you get limber. How do you stretch out that supply chain, Right. What do you see as different ways that a shipper? What, well, first of all, let's talk about that. What is define it first? What are flexible logistics? What does that mean to you? Um, you know, first and foremost, it's it's having uh, a number of carrier options. Um, we probably, you know, have every LTL carrier out there integrated in, into our TMS uh, truckload providers. We probably have over thirty thousand uh, that are vetted out insurance wise, and just being able to give those options to, you know, our, our shippers, you know, our customers that in, in most cases, you know, they are, you know, have access to our TMS and they're going in doing rate shops, doing tracking and tracing. 
but it's it's the ability to you know switch a carrier out somebody falls off a load how quickly you know are we able to respond communicate to that customer that hey carrier x just fell off that we're putting carrier y in on this or we're seeing service issues uh in an ltl network that we're going to dissuade customers from using until we know those things get you know cleared up what do you see as different ways that shippers could accomplish that mm-hmm. how do the how do the shippers get limber right how can they have this flexible logistics that you just described well it's you know in in most cases we've got you know small customers that might not have their own tms so what we you know provide them is the intelligence in terms of you know our TFWW uh, CRM, you know, which we call Connect. And that generally gives everybody what they need or what they want and more so, um, you know, bigger ship, you know, customers that we might manage inbound, you know, freight flows for, they can see, you know, real-time inventory, you know, coming in. They can see, you know, if we're, you know, Delivering into five, six, you know, PetSmart DCs, for instance, they can see, hey, they got a product, you know, shortage or out. They can divert, you know, some of that same product, you know, from another DC into another region of the country. So and we're we're able to shift out, you know, LTL options, you know, for those smaller orders or, you know, do truckload, you know, for the bigger orders. Interesting. And you're kind of like leading into that. I was going to ask you, how can service providers help them accomplish that? What role do you fit in? What responsibility is it of the shipper to get that stretch in before they do their run? And what responsibility is yours? Yeah, um, you know, it's all about visibility, uh, being able to adapt, you know, to, with different modes. And I've kind of mentioned, you know, LTL truckload, but we also do quite a bit of, uh, you know, freight forwarding, expedited work. Um what we're seeing in, you know, a down economy right now is, you know, people are letting inventory levels, sh- you know, slip a little bit. And oftentimes uh, we're expediting, you know, freight so they don't have a, a manufacturing shutdown or, you know, they might be out of product, you know, for retail customers, for instance. So it's, re- it's you know, doing constant, you know, integrations, um, doing connects with, you know, API, EDI, with both, you know, our carrier base and customers. So it's really, you know, it's, you know, uh, call it a a massive board out there that enables our customers and others just just to have real-time visibility to what products are coming in for them or where their products are going out to end customers. Where are shippers, like in LTL, for example, where are they pulling their muscles? Where are they getting hamstrung, especially right now? I, we, you know, we always talk about seasonality, but like the past four years, that has been so destroyed. Yeah. And now you got me curious. Um, how have the pain points shifted in LTL into this year? Well, it's a, a little soft, you know, out there uh, in general. So I have seen a record number of RFPs so far this year. Wow. Uh, we probably have doubled the number of RFPs that we did in 2022 within the first six weeks of 2023. 
That is, that's so curious. I was, cause I was going to, that was my follow up. I was going to say, when do you see more RFPs in the down market or the up market? But is, is it the down? Cause everyone's trying to reprice. Cause in the up market, they're all trying to get capacity and you, you all want to secure it there. Oh yeah. Um, definitely in a down market. I'm not going to say this is a repeat of, yeah. you know, 2007, 2008, when we first started the platform, but it, it looks very similar in terms of, you know, what's going on out there. Um, obviously, I know you were uh, with FedEx for a period of time. Yeah. They're still one of our primary vendors. So we're not seeing the big national carriers, um, you know, do a lot of pricing relief. Um, but it's it's really where we're driving services with the regional carriers that seem to be a little more nimble right now in terms of adjusting price to market conditions. You know, we talk about tech all the time and how tech can help and how tech can enhance, but what, what are some examples of that? How is tech helping with some of these problems right now? Um, it's, it's basically uh, allowing us to get confirmation um, from, you know, carriers that they're going to do the pickup. I mean, it sounds pretty basic, but rule number one is don't leave freight on a dock. Mm. So if we're, we're suspect, it's, you know, mid to late afternoon, um, we're actually, you know, going beyond, you know, tech and we might not get a 990 confirmation back from a carrier. We're actually picking up the phone. Uh, we have about 136 locally based offices out there. And oftentimes, you know, uh, there's crucial times in the afternoon where we're not getting a pickup confirmation back from a carrier and we're opting to put that, you know, two pallets, four pallet order on another carrier that can confirm that they can pick up. Interesting. Does, hey, oh, there's been so much talk recently about generative AI and, and like GPT, chat GPT, and it seems like everyone's trying to stand up something there. Does, does that interest you at all? Is that a space you're, you're watching? Does that have you curious in any way? I, I mean, we're watching it. Um, there's a price point and, uh, we, we are looking at enhancing our TMS for truckload right now. Um, so we're going to glean off the probably latest in cloud technology in terms of what they're doing in terms of responsiveness to carriers um, and customers. Um, and sometimes it comes down to the billing is pretty important too, where automation just providing you know, a POD, so we can get paid. Um, so in in most cases, uh, leverage platform like, you know, TFWW um, is paying the carriers before we get paid. Um, my uh, uh, parent company up in Canada doesn't, doesn't always like that, but uh, that, that seems to be the nature of what's uh, happening. So in terms of advances with technology, that uh, we're we're really seeing benefits from it, it is that automation. Um, it's being able to sync up with you know our bank um, and pay people promptly um, because that's that is still critical out there for just about every carrier. Absolutely. Well, hey, before I let you go, one tip for anyone going to the uh, the parades out in Chicago. What is your survival guide tip? What what do you need to keep in mind? <laughs> Um, get there, get there early. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, think about your exit strategy to, to get out of the massive crowds. Um, 
you know, maybe maybe a little bit before the parade ends. But uh, just uh, have a good time. It's going to be a little bit chilly here uh, this weekend. So I'm just, uh, you know, wear the boots and, uh, you know, <laughs> just make sure, you know, you're safe out there and uh, just get there early. Um, that's I, I see a lot of people, you know, we're meet, meeting up with friends typically. And sometimes, you know, it, it's a great annual event because some people I don't see until we go to the South Side Parade. But, uh, you know, looking forward to it. And uh, just, you know, get there early. Well, very, very cool. And people who want to connect with you, where do I send them to? Uh, just www.tfwwi.com. Very, very cool. Well, hey, enjoy the, enjoy the parade. Have a great time. And like I said, Aaron Gobra, good time on St. Patrick's Day. All right. Thanks, Timothy. <laughs> Take care. All right. All right, everybody, let's rate a little strap work here. And this one is absolutely terrifying. Roll the tape. Look at this right here. See those? See these, see these giant coils hanging out right here? Do you see the straps on those? I, it's a trick question. I said rate the strap. There's no straps to rate. That is horrifying right there. I put this one out to the logistics community. Here's what you had to say. Rob Carpenter, Peterbilt drivers are built different. They have a telepathic connection with everything they haul. No need for straps. No need for cages, load bars, or cargo nets. Brenda Brown, and everyone can thank their rising insurance premiums on this guy, Anthony Heward. They always said, use your imagination. William Rufo says, as long as he slapped it and said, those puppies aren't going anywhere. It's the magical incantation. Clayton Steger said, just keep it between the mayonnaise and the mustard. Jeff Dixon says, a, no, a new show for you, Tim. What not to truck when clueless? I have nothing else to say. So much hate. Or shake my head, as people tell me. I use SMH as uh, so much hate. Other people say it's shake my head. I say so much hate. Gregory Vanilla says, uh, driver, driver should get a ticket. One pothole or speed bump away from total catastrophe. Yeah, you are not kidding. Now, James E. Lewis is supposed to be here right now. We're supposed to talk about truck accidents. So let me reach out to him really quick. Where are you, buddy? Oh, he's coming in right now. All right, he'll be up in two seconds. He has, you know, this rate the strap work thing I've been putting up. He has had plenty of comments on these things, and he litigates truck accidents and deals with these all the time for his clients. So I thought he'd be the perfect guest to sort of tie in some of this strap work stuff together and talk about what happens when you're in an accident. And uh, there he is. <laughs> hey, what's up, James? How you doing today? I'm doing great. You? I'm doing well. Did you just see the strap work we looked at? It was the same video that's on LinkedIn of those coils that are on the back of that. These right here, that flatbed right there with no straps. And every time I post something like this, you, your eyes must go. You must go insane. Well, it, it took me about an hour and a half to clean the computer monitors. I've got three monitors and my head exploded. <laughs> so of course, I had to get the simple green out and the, and the glass cleaner and stuff. Oh, man. Before we even jump into this stuff, uh, introduce yourself to our lovely audience here. <laughs> I'm James Lewis. Uh, I'm from originally from Texas, did a lot of time in the Air Force, Ooh. have had a busy and conflicted career in the trucking industry starting in 1987. Uh, worked into a, a, lot of, a lot of time in the towing industry and the trucking industry uh, in management and trucking and ended up doing expert witness work. Uh, for about 21 years now. And so it's kind of all come together, and now I'm doing expert witness work full-time with a lot of recent experience. What, so it, it, what is an expert witness? 
it's uh, there's there's a lot of fields where experts work. Essentially, it's uh, someone who is an expert in the field. I don't I don't mean to reuse that word, <laughs> but you have to pass what's called a Daubert hearing. With Daubert as a standard in the legal industry for being an expert, you have to meet that uh, based on. A, a lot of experience uh, having written books or articles uh, about the subject, and you, you can subject yourself to a peer review and still stand up. Uh, attorneys hire me, for instance, uh, both defendant and plaintiff's attorneys hire me, in, mostly in truck crashes, to determine who was doing what and whether it was right or not. So it's a pretty, pretty interesting job. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about how truck accidents work. Now, when you're watching that video, you can see one of the things that can cause them happens before the truck even leaves the lot. And it has to do with preparation, not putting your straps, not doing your right thing on there. What leads up to truck accidents? Well, and I'm not going to blame car drivers for all of them because we, we people in the trucking industry are responsible for a large number of trucking crashes. But a lot of truck crashes happen through interference of other vehicles, uh, getting cut off, uh, someone playing a game and brake checking a truck, things like that. Um, but also mechanical failures uh, due to lack of pre-trips, post-trips, due to proper maintenance, things like that. Or just the other things like inattentiveness, being distracted with your phone or music or you know cooking on the hibachi inside the truck or whatever, and, uh, and, and bad things happen. If you follow my social feed, you, you've seen all of these indiscretions occurring behind the reel. So it's, it's no shock to me why accidents happen. And as you said, they can happen a lot of ways. It can be uh, the driver behind the wheel. It can be what happens before you even leave the lot. And also it can just be the, the, the person in front of you or a rock slide or, or weather. There's so many things that can go wrong when you're moving 80,000 pounds. So what, what do you do when you are in one? What happens in worst case scenario? What do you do if you're the driver? What do you do if you're the carrier? Well, there's several things. Um, and of course, I don't see the the minor accidents. I don't see, you know, where, you know, a, a rock, a rock rolled down a hill and hit a truck. You know, I don't see those because we can't sue the rock. Yeah. You know, the lawyers can't sue the rock. Sure well, they can try. sue the state. For they, well, they can make, <laughs> sue the state or the county for not maintaining the property. Yeah. Um, but the thing, and, and I, I know drivers get this in every driver's orientation, stop, take pictures, don't admit fault, uh, do check on the other people involved in the accident, but don't admit fault. And I use that word accident by mistake. There's no such thing as an accident. It's a collision or an incident or a crash because someone is at fault. An accident to me is where no one's at fault. You know, God made lightning strike a tree and it fell on your house. That's an accident. Can you convince um, my, uh, my, my six and eight year old boys of that? Yeah, it was an accident. Yeah, I've heard it. I've got two boys that are grown now, but I heard that a lot as a dad. Absolutely. But for the driver, it's uh, it's tumultuous. It's it's stressful. Um, even if it wasn't your fault, you're thinking, you know, I'm going to lose my career. I'm going to lose my license. All those things flash through your minds. And, and, and I've dealt with that as a driver, for sure. Um, On to the carrier. The carrier really has to immediately go into cover your butt mode. And they want to make sure that their driver was where they needed to be at the time, uh, was supposed to be there, was qualified. And all of these things come into mind uh, because if the driver's doing something wrong, it falls directly onto the carrier. 
And then it just kind of goes up the chain from there. That's when the brokers are involved. Uh, the shippers, receivers get involved. It, it, it gets pretty ugly because of the element that nobody sees in these crashes like, like I do, like the attorneys do, is when you're in a crash, you're one of about 10 parties that gets named in the suit. And that blows people's minds. How soon do you contact an attorney after getting in a crash? Is, is it instantly? And I guess the rules would be different for a company guy and an owner-operator opera, owner in this situation. But when do you have to? Because you're going to need legal counsel. I mean, we live in a world with nuclear verdicts. When do you make that call? Right. Well, as an owner-operator or a large company manager, operations manager, safety manager, I would, I would let them know immediately. If you've got an attorney that works with your company on a regular basis, let them know immediately. Give that attorney every opportunity they can to nip it in the bud. Uh, because just like you see on the thousands of billboards on our freeways and in our towns, uh, if you, you had a wreck, get a check. So the other side, the plaintiff side, is pursuing these, these crash victims in, in a hardcore manner. So they, as soon as they get out of the hospital or whatever, from the hospital, they're calling the lawyer. So on the trucking side, you need to be that prepared and that ready. So what does the aftermath look like? So you've you, you got in the accident, that's over with, and now you're dealing with all the, the repercussions. What does that look like, and, and how bad can that get? How, what, what's the worst you've seen for, for some of these carriers? We've seen some of these massive verdicts. Right. Well, it, the verdict is the issue, but, but what gets me is the tentacles of the octopus that are involved. Uh, I was just involved in a case in California. It just settled, so we can talk about it a little bit. Um, where there was a double brokering scenario where a major food producer, food dis distribution company, uh, shipped a load from California to Texas, and they use a, a group of brokers, and their broker selected a carrier. They did their vetting. Now, the broker, thankfully, used a broker vetting service, so they got all the information they could on this carrier. They gave the load to the carrier, and the carrier handed it off to one of their buddies who was not an employee or a contractor of the carrier. Uh, he had his own authority, actually. He was just a friend. So there was no business association there at all. And then turned right around the next day, and the guy got into a crash that severely hurt several ladies and an older gentleman in, in California. Um, the, the tentacles that I saw come out really shocked me. Of course, the carrier and the driver at fault. The driver had all kinds of log violations, had truck problems as far as inspections. Because what people don't realize is after a crash, whether you're at fault or not, a DOT officer is going to inspect your truck, your logs, everything. They're probably going to go a step further, go to your carrier and inspect your driver qualification file. So that's one of the first things they do. And if there's problems there, it gets ugly. And everyone in the chain knows about it at that point. So then I was working on behalf of one of the brokers or the broker that was involved in the middle of this. And of course, Plaintiff's attorneys for the injured parties were trying to make it all about the broker because the driver had no real insurance coverage. The carrier was small and had minimal coverage, and they want big dollars, so they go next up the chain, which was the broker and that the consignee, which is the, the food distributor that ordered the, the product. Yeah. It was, it was kind of scary. Well, you know, how do you... Because you said something interesting there. You're, they're going to go back through all the logs. They're going to go back through the history. They're going to go back through how you vet. Uh, your answer to a lot of the sins of the past, if you get called into court, right? How do you 
prevent that? And how do you also protect the operation you're running? I mean, look, accidents are going to happen, but the amount of scrutiny you're under is going is the big difference here and the amount of trouble you can get into for not doing the right thing. So how do you prevent some of this stuff? Well, it's, it, the, the common sense answer is you, you operate legally to begin with. Yeah. Uh, the secondary part of that is as a carrier or safety manager, all that, you make sure your people are operating correctly and that you've got all of your documentation backed up properly. That driver qualification file is the key to success. It really, really is. People don't even think about that much, but the driver qualification file in conjunction with 391.11, which basically says you shall not drive if you are not qualified. Now, here's the catch. If your driver qualification file isn't complete, you are not qualified. So let's back up a few steps and understand that you shouldn't be on the road at that date and time of the crash if your driver qualification file isn't accurate. And that just basically that that guarantees the other side's success in the lawsuit. And you just need to write a check and it's going to be ugly. Wow. Any, anything else that, that the lawyers are just going to feast on that you really have to, to be mindful of? You got to put the goalie on? Right. Well, here, this, this guy in this, in this situation, yeah. um, at the time, he was fine on his log for that day. But of course, the DOT officer looks back through the last seven days on his ELD because he was using a, a phone app for electronic log. Yeah. And there were problems with that. He didn't have the phone mounted to the dash, which you have to do. And they found all kinds of log violations three and four and five days prior to this day. On this day, he was clean. But in the last 70 hours, he had about six different violations. So, you know, he was eligible for a shutdown at any time. He was in violation currently, kind of like a rolling violation. And if he'd have gone through a, a, a scale of port of entry, they could have shut him down for 10 to 12 to 24 to even 34 hours just to clean up his logs. So there again, you've got a situation where you shouldn't have been operating. Now here's the catch. The brokers typically can't see a driver's logs. You know, that's, that's just, that's a, a mystery there. They have to rely on the carrier to do the right thing. And in this case, the carrier did not. Oh, and it gets even more murky with like the double brokering that you, you mentioned over here. What is the, what is the largest verdict uh, that you've heard so far put against a truck company? Uh, $91 million against Werner uh, was the biggest one I've seen. And that was absolutely ridiculous. And I air a quick opinion on it. A young gentleman, he was a trainee, but he was in the final stages of his training after 30 days. His trainer was sleeping. They were going a short period from Midland to the Fort Worth area. And Midland and Odessa had a pretty bad little winter storm going on. He was only driving like 30 miles an hour. He's being careful and just humming along because there was no parking. Everything in Midland and Odessa was packed up. So they decided to keep going. A lady in a minivan going the opposite way, driving way too fast for her conditions, lost it, went across the freeway, hit this truck head on, killed two people in the van, hurt her, you know, of course, totaled the van, and they sued Werner, you know, basically saying they shouldn't have been there because the weather was bad. Well, the minivan shouldn't have been out there because the weather was bad. You know, we could talk about this all day long and dance around it. But unfortunately, uh, the defense didn't work in that scenario, and Werner was found to, to, to pay $91 million. Of course, it's on appeal now, and that, that, that amount will be dropped. But still, that's a ridiculous amount of money.
Wow. 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 You gave us a lot to chew on here. If someone needs an expert witness, they need more guidance, they've been in an accident, they want your expertise, or they just want to connect with you, James, where do I send them to? Well, very easily. I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn under my name, James E. Lewis. Um, I work directly for Evidence Solutions that have Tucson, Arizona. It's an expert witness consortium, and we have experts of a lot of different fields. There's about 25 of us, I believe, all together. Uh, I'm one of two transportation safety experts that we have, and I don't ever mind a phone call. Hey, what, what should I do? And, and whether it's a trucking company asking about a compliance issue or an attorney with a new case trying to either defend a trucking company or unfortunately prosecute a trucking company, uh, I work on both sides because that's fair. Uh, I, I don't mind them reaching out at all. Well, James, next time there's a case in the news cycle, a crash in the news cycle, or a, a right to strap work and I need your help with it, I'll be sure to reach out to you. Thank you so much for coming on today. Appreciate it. No problem. I, I ran a flatbed for a long time in my career, and every time I see those, I just I just shake my head. You're great. <laughs> so, You're great. Take care. I appreciate you. Good stuff. You All right. Take it easy. All right, send us the hard stuff. That's what Dunavant Logistics says. When you run into that really challenging logistics nightmare that keeps you up at night, call the good folks over at Dunavant. They make headaches disappear. Go visit them over at Dunavant.com. All right, meanwhile. All right, remember the last episode we showed you those guys sitting on the side of the road opening their mouths to get splashed intentionally? Well, now we got this guy on the highway in his convertible driving with the top down, and unfortunately there's a semi coming right past him, and um, this guy's got a little bit soaked. A little bit soaked. There's someone on who commented on this line, and they said, uh, the reason you drive with the top down when it's raining is because it keeps you drier like the speed does, but what happens when you stop? Or what happens, like you're at a red light, or what happens when a semi-truck drives by you and hits a big puddle on your head? That does not seem logical at all to me. I don't know. Now, let's talk to Melzi Wilson. She's VP, President of Operations at Donovan. Melzi, thank you so much for coming on the show today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm having to follow that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you can follow it because you, I saw something on your LinkedIn, and you do some really cool char charitable work for Hogs for a Cause, and I was curious what that even is. Yeah. Hogs for the Cause is a uh, nonprofit where uh, teams compete. And normally when there's a barbecue competition, they are uh, raising money, but most important, they're winning money. Ooh. In this particular case, they raise money. And the 90-some-odd teams we have competing at Hogs for the Cause um, it can easily go to two and three million dollars, and it, the nonprofit goes to families whose children have pediatric brain cancer, and there's a very small survival rate. Oh wow! Well, hey, a little cowbell for you and and, and the work that you're doing for hogs with a so if, very if you're not if you're not busy the last weekend of the month, come on down to Hogs for the Cause in New Orleans, and we'll set you up judging. Well, excellent, excellent. Well, before we get to that, though, let's talk about something here. Let's talk about pressure testing your supply chain. But before we even get into that, let's define it. What does that even mean? It's pretty much taking um, the factors that are a given and do, uh, breaking down your supply chain and then applying what I call the what ifs. So, you know, when you're looking at from your supply, Supplier to the foreign port of lading, 
you know, what are your risks there? What are the what ifs could happen? Is it an act of God? Is it, you know, um, uh, a war? You know, what are those factors to get it to the port? Then you have your next big leg, which is maybe the ocean or air coming into the U.S. And you look at what your factors are there and apply the what ifs, whether it's pricing, capacity, equipment, you know, what are the challenges that you do have and what you could have and how you react to it? Well, here's the thing, though. In the past couple of years, the plot lines have made less sense than the Star Wars sequel trilogy with this, the market changing. And look, people like companies have reacted to this, right? They've they've reacted. They've made right. changes. Remember that big debate? Are we moving away from just in time to just in case? And then a big point in that debate came up last year, which was the big inventory overhang. And now I hear everyone sort of trending back to that changer zone and the just in case world because it looks better on books. What has changed since the right. pandemic now that we're getting back to normal? And, and what practices that companies have to evaluate that they may have changed during it? So you talk about, you know, capacity and warehousing, you know, we were, you know, e-commerce blew up. And then toward the end of the pandemic, we all slowed down. The economy was changing. Consumption changed. Everyone was getting a little bit more cautious. So with that in mind, our warehouses are at capacity. It's hard to find warehousing in the U.S. right now. So um, I hope that we don't change the way we look at the supply chain. I hope we continue to apply the what ifs and not, well, I've always done it this way. That, you know, we, we won some business just this week, and it's principally based upon the fact that his supplier was not keeping in time with the what ifs. Mm, mm. And you have to, right? There's always what ifs in supply yeah. chain. There's always something coming down the pike. Is, so is there any practices that you, you should abandon, though? Some of the good ones are, like uh, maybe that just in case being abandoned, not necessarily a good thing. But are there things that you maybe should abandon that you were, you were, you were doing? It seems like a lot of companies are abandoning hiring at the moment. So, uh, in my personal opinion, and looking at uh, the various supply chains that we deal with, I would abandon, I've always done it this way. Yeah. You know, I would look at the contracts I have with my suppliers and then the contracts I have with my clients, if I was the importer or the exporter. Interesting. You know, look at that. Is it price sensitive? Can it survive another pandemic? Can it survive, um, you know, the, what's going to happen between Russia and the Ukraine uh, and other uh, countries getting involved and maybe siding with Russia? You know, how is the U.S. going to react to that? And is that going to impact your supply chain? Are you are, have we seen any impacts yet for from reshoring? We hear we heard about it. That was another trend line. It was like, yeah. all right, got to get out of China. You know, we're going to be doing all this reshoring and French shoring and near shoring. Have you seen any impacts from that? And ally shoring yeah. and minimizing geopolitical um, uh, risk. Uh, yes. In fact, we are helping one client uh, that is looking at uh, Mexico, working closely with them. And then we're talking to another client and helping them out and looking at uh, Vietnam. Wow. So there is, there is a trend because people see the writing on the wall. Uh, there are a lot of things coming down the pike uh, that's going to impact possible 
supply chains that deal with China with forced labor. We start on March 18th applying uh, postal codes and identifying those companies who could be using forced labor to manufacture their products. Well, very interesting. I was going to ask you, what, what's coming our way? Any, any other new situations that we need to consider this year? Well, when, uh, kind of go back to the near shore, and you, you need to be staying in tune. You need to have, be active with a customs broker or with, you know, a, a 3PL, MBO, um, freight forwarder that stays in tune with what's coming down the pike. Uh, so we've got the forced labor. Forced labor is not just China. It's other countries as well. We've got um, uh, the impact. Let's say China supplies um, the Russia with supplies yeah. and you know, something to do with supporting their Russia's war effort. That's going to you know, take that next step to alienate China and impact your supply chain through sanctions. Yeah. So um, those are those are the big things. You know, we're always looking at the cost of dumping. We're all, always looking at um, uh, trucking over the road restraints. You know, the move toward. Um, uh, I know there's in California. There's a move now to go to um, the very eco-friendly electric trucks by I think it's 2035. Even early in so, California, even um, earlier 20, 2030, But they have some targets like 2027 is the next. The next big target yeah. they have for, and this year started where they had the uh, 2010 and earlier engine models were uh, kicked out too. Right, right, right. So there's a lot of things you really need to stay in touch with and, and have those that dialogue. Just don't be that just in time, make a decision. Be knowing what's coming down the pike. Be and the So ice. that means that those what ifs, you know, pressure testing, the what ifs is going to help you. Like you said, be the eye of the hurricane. That's what Melzi says. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Well, hey. And that's where we, from an asset-based and a non-asset-based company, we've really uh, benefited from all the knowledge we have under the Donovan Global Logistics brand. And we can help you get out of the eye of that that you know storm and, and benefit and be successful in the long run. Well, Helly, Melzi, you're doing the Lord's work with the with that hogs and the charity program and, and helping these shippers out. Go to Donovan.com, visit them, and you have a great weekend. I appreciate your time today. You too. Thank you. Take it easy. Now, those of you, you might be driving out there right now. You know, you might be looking at Loves. You might be looking at Pilot. You might be looking at a quick stop. You might be looking at Buggies. Not if you're in a truck, though, because they don't let you park there. You might be saying to yourself, which one of these is the best truck stop in America? Damn if I know, but Chris Oliver, CMO at Trucker Path, does. So I invited him on the show because they just did a big survey. Chris Oliver, what's up, man? Hey. Hey, how's it going, Dooner? Where, where are you? I like the, the greenery over your shoulder. Oh, I'm in Phoenix in our home office. We actually bought a new building, and we haven't got our certificate of occupancy yet. So we've all been working at home COVID style for the last month or two. Oh, nice. Well, you got a nice fish. How many fish do you have? Oh, just a couple. It kind of keeps it peaceful in here. <laughs> I like it. It's it's very zen. It's very zen. Now, I was reading, I like a nice truck stop, and truck stops are all over the boards, from like nightmare locations out of horror movies to some, some really, really sharp places. You guys did a survey. Before we get to the results, what was the methodology for conducting it? Very straightforward. You know, most people know us that we have lots of truck stops on the Trucker Path app, and this is really just the, the results of the ratings, the, the star ratings from the drivers over the last year. 
Uh, the really the only criteria to be in the mix was to be get need to be visited enough. So all the of the top 100 had a minimum of 2,500 ratings from 2022, and the results are just the results of what the drivers think. And who? So these were all drivers that put their results in. And how many did you say were were part of the survey? Uh, there, there, we have a million active users on the Trucker oh, Fast wow. app. So, wow. so they contribute, you know, the ratings all the time. Uh, to be considered as part of the top 100, you had to be rated a minimum of 2,500 gotcha. times by the community. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Now, what? So, what were the results? What was like the the top five or the top 25 or the top 100? Well, what's the best truck stop? Yeah, well, America? I guess this is where you we insert the drum roll, right? The the, yeah. the winner, the top, the highest rating this year, which I think there we go. <laughs> I think may have been the highest rating ever was Quick Star number 1071 uh, in Davenport, Iowa. There you got it right there in Davenport, Iowa. Uh, their overall rating was a 4.9, which, you know, is darn near perfect. What are, is it just like a one rating? People rating them on like different criteria, like the restroom is good, uh, the snack selection's good, the, the, the fuel price is cheap, there's parking. Yeah, so the information we have on truck stops is a combination of both ratings and reviews, very, very similar to Google. So these are the results of the ratings, and it's simply, you know, one to five stars. Um, and then we have pretty in-depth reviews on all of our truck stops. You know, our drivers are very active in sharing their opinions and thoughts and preferences from stop to stop. Um, you know, in this particular quick star, um, and actually most, you know, I've, I've done a lot of reading about this in several interviews. And the, the thing that really boils to the top in terms of, you know, what makes a great truck stop a great truck stop is friendliness and cleanliness. You know, and the more you see that in the reviews, the higher they tend to be rated, which not a big surprise, but um, speaks volumes to those simple factors. Yeah, we, the first place we had a quick start, Davenport, Iowa. Second place was a Love's Travel Stop, Moses Lake, Washington. Third place, Rainbow Truckers Lounge, which is in West Wendover, Nevada, Burt's Travel Plaza, Wellsville, Kansas, and Workman's Travel Center over in the Ozarks, Ozark, Arkansas. What do they say makes a bad one? What makes uh, the, the place something out of Joyride, something out of a horror movie that Rusty Nail would kill you in the bathroom at? <laughs> yeah, dirty comes up a lot, especially showers. You know, showers aren't clean or they're inadequate or low low pressure or not enough hot water. Um, I actually saw several times, you know, lukewarm water instead of hot, which, you know, nobody wants to take a lukewarm shower. Yeah. Um, so those are things on unfriendly service. Um, and then one thing that really kind of surprised me um, that really stands out amongst the top stops, um, especially independents, is people really like, you know, uh, call it mom and pop uh, cafes or restaurants instead of chains. Uh, those with independent um, restaurants tend to shine a little bit brighter than those that have, you know, the typical subway or other chains. You know, all the truck drivers that I talk to online and interact with and talk to, all, they all complain about that same thing because, and it, it makes sense. Every place you show up to, it's some kind of fast food or uh, a vending machine, if there's anything at all. And But, you, I mean, you get sick of all that processed food after a while. You know, you want, like, you want some nice eggs in a diner. You want to feel like you can sit down and get a refill of your coffee. Absolutely, yeah. The one that really stood out to me was um, at the Workman's in Ozark that you mentioned earlier. Now their their restaurant's called the Hillbilly Hideout, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, and they had a real a big combination of barbecue, burgers, you know, Mexican, the whole nine yards. So you know, an indep you know independently owned and operated restaurant with a cool name and a pretty diverse menu. You know, that's, that's that would attract me. <laughs> do, do the petting zoos help at all that some of these uh, truck stops <laughs> have? Um, do any of those uh, accessorial amenities, maybe a, a shoe shine or a you know, a, a truck wash on location. Do those have, do those help? 
Yeah, they do. They do. Um, you know, and as I was looking through the winners trying to find a common theme, you know, most of these top stops tend to have most of the bells and whistles, nice showers, you know, new clean bathrooms, um, groceries or somewhere to buy some food that's relatively healthy. Um, all that you would expect. Uh, the standouts were that cleanly and friendly and, and non, non-chain food. Um, but on the, on the app, we have a section where we show all the amenities that the stops have. Um, so drivers are able to see pretty easily, you know, all those types of amenities they have. Do, do you have a favorite truck stop? Do you have one that stands out in your mind? Mine is uh, south of the border. Oh, yeah? <laughs> um, I, I live here in Phoenix, uh, and there's a pilot in Tolleson that I tend to hit pretty often when I'm heading west over to the coast. So I'd say I've probably been there more than any others. Really? So what is your, what's your favorite truck stop item? What's your go-to when you're on a road trip? Um, honestly, I'm, I don't usually eat much. <laughs> so oh. energy drinks, man. I pound the monster drinks like crazy. So, you know, that's not truck stop specific, but I would say nine times out of 10, I hit a stop. That's what I'm grabbing as a monster. Hey, I know a Coke driver, and I and he posted yesterday that he uh, that monsters like it's like ten to one the amount of monsters they deliver versus Coke at the highway truck stops, the one that that truckers frequent. Oh, yeah. So I, I asked him which the most popular were, and he said uh, the green one is super popular. The white zero sugar that's that's big time with the drivers. The big difference between the green and the white one. I don't know if you if you're a monster aficionado, but if you go for the sugar mm-hmm. one, you're like slamming like two hundred and eighty calories of sugar along with it if you don't go for the sugar free. Yeah, that's a pretty significant tweak. I'm a pipeline guy, which has a lot of sugar in it too. <laughs> so I like the double whammy. Interesting, interesting. Any any surprises in doing this survey? Did anything change between this year and, and other years? Because this isn't this isn't the first time you've looked into the best truck stops. Uh, no, it's an annual thing. We do it um, every year and have for you know a handful of years now, and we'll continue to. Um, you know what kind of did surprise me this year is we had a lot of newcomers to the list. You know, if you look at the top ten, gosh, what? Seven of the top ten are new to the list, um, so it tells you that you know they're doing things well and uh, uh, earning their spots. Um, the other thing is that overall the ratings were much higher this year, so I don't know if drivers were in a better mood because you know <laughs> rates per mile were so high uh, up until the fuel prices spiked. Yes. Um, but just you know higher ratings overall, and then a lot of newcomers, uh, which which is pretty cool. It tells you that you know it's not just a handful that dominate uh, being good service providers to the industry; it's newcomers all the time. Well, very cool. Well, hey, before I let you go, I got to spin the wheel of stupid questions. It's Friday over here, so let's uh, let's get you out of here on a good note. Oh, okay. I like this question, too. So, wheel of stupid questions. Would you rather be trapped in an elevator with someone playing unsolicited acoustic guitar for an hour or drive across country with someone trying to convince you now is the time to buy NFTs? <laughs> acoustic guitar all day. <laughs> I'll take five hours. <laughs> oh, you, you'll take it as long as do they have to take requests or you don't care? Yeah. Uh, uh, how about just not discussing the NFTs? Well, Chris, if someone wants to serenade you with an acoustic guitar, what song would you want to hear? Um, wow, that's a good one. I think I'd probably go to, I don't know, maybe some acoustic Stevie Ray Vaughan. Not bad. Not bad. Well, hey, I appreciate it. People want to read the whole thing. They want to see the top 100 list. They want to learn more about Trucker Path. Where do I send them to? Just come to truckerpath.com. Hit our blog. We've got that and a whole bunch of other articles on there that are not only entertaining, but also pretty darn informative. All right. Well, hey, say hi to those fish for me. Thank you for coming on the show and have a great weekend. <laughs> Thanks a bunch, Junior. Take care. All right, everybody. It's Friday. So let's little good news, bad news. Send you home. <laughs> Bad news and good news.
yeah. All right. Pick your ass back up, whoever crashed. All right, bad news. You're hauling peanuts. <laughs> You're hauling peanuts in. <laughs> what? I don't even know what I wrote here. I'm just going to do this without even looking at what I wrote. You're hauling peanuts, and you got a big mess in the back of your trailer. What now? Good news, you've got this trailer. Take a look Today at how one of these my works. Today with this trailer, and I don't hate it, but I don't love I'm it. I'm used to a belt trailer, and a belt trailer does not use a net like this, and it does not require any sweeping, so this is definitely new to me. It's called the walking floor trailer, and it's called that because the floor literally walks back and forth and pushes out the load, and that is how the load is dropped. But I'm going to talk about the pros and cons, because there's a common misconception with the walking floor trailer. Because you don't always have to sweep, but because I'm new, I still haven't gotten the hang of it. And the reason that you don't always have to sweep is because this net has to be clipped onto the front of the trailer using these six clamps so when the loader drops the first load it falls onto the tarp and when you start unloading the weight of the commodity pulls the tarp down sweeping everything along with it if you place it right and because of that it takes 13 minutes longer than a bow trailer to unload and you open and close the trailer doors like you would dry van trailer doors but these commodity trailers are typically lighter which means you can haul larger loads which means you get paid more per load so the walking floor trailer takes longer to unload and requires more work but they're cheaper in price and they're lighter very cool. You know, Trucker G online, he was saying that uh, that reminds him, and he's so right, it reminds him of, you know the arcade when you drop a quarter in and it lands and all there and there's the, those little thing that goes forward and it's supposed to knock like the big bounty into the bottom for you and you get rich, like slot machines for kids that nobody's ever won. Yeah, that's what that, that looks like. All right, here we go. Let's talk about Fat of the Elephant. This guy is my hero of the week. Good news, it's a beautiful day in Thailand to be out delivering some sugar cane. Bad news, take a look here. Fatty the elephant is on your route. Rooster over at Back the Truck Up, he reports, in his home country, elephants have the right of way on the roads, which Fatty used to set up his own version of a toll route. I'll tell you something, Rooster, everywhere, elephants have the right of way, okay? Crash on an elephant, see what happens to you. Uh, he said his loaded sugarcane trucks pass by, as you can see here. Fatty pops out of his secret hiding spot in the woods, and he blocks the road, making the truck stop, and he just eats right off these sugarcane trucks. Um, you know, he likes it. If you pay the toll, he's fine with you. But for one trucker in a box truck, that guy right there, his driver is uh, Panita Anunin. He, oh, no, Panita Anunin, Anunin he, he witnessed this beatdown happen. Uh, Straight around the box truck, he didn't pay the toll. He gets flipped over by the elephant. Who has a lovely voice, doesn't he? He gets flipped over by the elephant, and this driver, he witnessed it. He said, it was so scary. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. We immediately left in case we were next. Man, like modern-day George Orwell killing an elephant out here. I love elephants. Just feed them the sugar can. Tanner in the back said, you know there's at least a couple of Like, I'm sure a lot of people are annoyed about Fatty. Fatty's a menace. Oh, Fatty wants his, his sugar again. But he said there's probably at least a few drivers who carry around some bananas or something to, to placate, make a sacrifice to the beast, like, uh, like the sand people in um, The Mandalorian. I was watching that episode of The Krite Dragon. They had a, they had a feed. They were going to feed a banta to, um, to that big Krite Dragon, and it came out and ate, ate the sand person instead. All right, we got anything else here? Oh, yeah, one more story. Bad news. You park, roll this tape right here. You park at the Miami Area Pilot Travel Center in Medley, and you notice your rig is moving. Look at that right here. This is according to the Miami Herald. Police say 24-year-old Exxon Gonzalez Carcias, he, uh, he hopped into this truck. Well, it was unlocked. The driver's getting gas on here. He leaves his truck. This guy jumps in here. He starts driving off. The good news is that there's a pair of bystanders. They sprung into action. They gave chase. This thief, he attempts to run them over. These guys aren't deterred, though. The owner of the truck and his buddies, they open the door. They rip this guy to the ground. They put their knees.
knees on his back, and they had zip ties on him, so they zip tied him up until the authorities got over there. But you know what? Scary world, people stealing your vehicles. Keep your doors locked. Club. Anyway, coming up Monday on the show, it's American trucker Taylor Barker. He was just out in Ohio bringing out wastewater. We're going to hear about him from a tank, he's a tanker driver. We're going to have Navy Street Drone founding team. They're going to show off their autonomous truck. And we got Reed Laustalot from Lost Freight, who uh, we'll hear about his new program, plus his AI-generated driver excuse maker. Hey, find me on Twitter, at Timothy Duder. Subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Don't be a stranger.